I have something to admit. I didn't always want to work in politics or be the host of my own show. People tend to assume that I was always just interested in talking into a microphone. Well, I am here to set the record straight. I actually wanted to be a storm chaser. Really. I mean, obviously, I was not your average six-year-old. I had big dreams of chasing tornadoes. Can't you picture it? I could have a cute pink van, and I'd take you along with me. We'd bring my producers and editors, too, and it'd be a whole thing. Every storm season, we'd go stalk tornadoes. I am made for it, even now. I mean, I've had breakups far scarier than a tornado, let me tell you. So I can handle a little storm chasing. Okay, but... Obviously, the dream kind of died and my love of radio ended up winning out. A lot of you know the story. It's a great one. But the reason I was so obsessed with being a storm chaser someday is because I saw the film Twister. And if you do not know this movie, you go and watch it right after this interview. This is your homework. It is the perfect movie to cuddle and watch with someone you love. Anyway, today's guest starred in that movie. Now, think about maybe who I'm talking about. If you do not know, here's another hint. She became famous for being a spy. Oh, now you're really, you think, okay, wait, I think I know who this is. Okay, here's one more hint. She's the queen of the Hallmark Channel, a former Dancing with the Stars contestant and mom of three amazing kids. Now, if you still don't know who I'm talking about, do you even watch movies? She's also an outspoken conservative and pro-life actress. This conversation went so many places that I was not expecting. We get into eating disorders and the Me Too movement and a lot of different things that I haven't touched on at all with any other guests. Please welcome to The Spillover, actress Alexa Penavega. Alexa, I just want the record to show that I mentioned on an episode of Politics that I wanted to have you as a guest on The Spillover. And then I asked conservatives to tag you in the comments so that you would see that I wanted you to come on. And it worked. Flooded. I was flooded with messages. It was awesome. I have to say, you have some amazing cute conservatives. They are like, they are hardcore. They they went after me. <laughs> they they really are the best. And, you know, that's the thing is like, we're so excited to talk to people, you know, celebrity and otherwise that share our values. And that's so exciting because sometimes it feels like we truly are alone. So then when we have someone like you who's actively posting about their conservative beliefs and everything on social media, it's like a breath of fresh air for us. I think it's just, it's rare nowadays because, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like it's actually always been been rare, but now it's even more rare or taboo to talk about these types of things. But it's been who, it's always been a part of us. Like we've, we've always been a family of faith. Um, we've always just kind of tried to post more positive content, more kind of conservative, I guess, type stuff. If that's what it's like quote-unquote conservative type stuff. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it's just who we are. So we can't help but just post who we are. I love that. And that authenticity is why I think your following is just so huge. Obviously, people know you because you're famous and you're an actress. But also, I think that a lot of people want to stick around because of how open you and your family are about sharing everything about your life. Well, we've been super blessed to have a platform to even say anything, you know. Um, but I think the biggest thing for us is we're like, man, what do we want to see when we're on social media? And we gravitate towards the people who are raw and real. And I think there is this like weird stigma that we have to put on like an act everywhere we go. And obviously, like you don't air all your dirty laundry, but you want to be... 
helpful and you want to be a light and part of that is talking about the like difficult journeys that you go through or the hard sides of parenting or pregnancy and all this stuff so so for us I, I kept looking at like who do I follow and why do I follow them and and I go okay that's what I want to be I, I want to be not this like influencer generation but somebody who actually can maybe influence people in in like a life-changing way. Yes, exactly. I and I I did that too in the new year. I just took inventory, looked at who I was following on Instagram. And then I was like, do I really care about their posts? Is it feeding me spiritually? You know, yep. am I engaging with their account? Do I like them? Do they make me feel better about myself? Um, do You know, and so I unfollowed any accounts that I didn't feel that way. But I have to tell you that Twister is one of my favorite <laughs> movies of oh all my time. Gosh. I was I, a baby. You were you were so little and I was little when that movie came out. I was like six or seven years old and it was my favorite movie. I would watch it over and over and over again. And for a huge part of my childhood, I would tell people that I wanted to be a storm chaser because of that movie. And I know you were just in the opening so scene. Funny. But I have to ask you if you remember filming that experience or if it was scary yes. as a kid, the storm yes. scenes. All of it, yes. So uh, we actually filmed it in Oklahoma during like tornado season, which I don't know if there's ever an end or a start to that, but it was, we had to go underground so many times because of tornadoes while we were filming that movie. And I remember as a little girl, there were all of like the flashing, the flashing lightning and the, the crazy thunder that was like wild to me. But the big, big thing was the house that flies away and gets destroyed in the beginning of the movie. Yes. They bought a house and blew it up. So as a kid, you're working in this house. It's super awesome. And then the next day you show up and it is like blown to bits. <laughs> that I remember being like kind of dramatic because, you know, you don't expect like this cute little house that you're filming in to just be completely demolished. And that that stuck around with me. <laughs> well, I'm I've been posting on my stories because everybody's so interested in it, but I'm trying to redo my apartment. And one of the things that I thought, man, would it be cool to try to find like a vintage twister movie poster to hang like? in my room or something no I was literally thinking that I oh, I wonder I bet you could find eBay eBay oh, has yeah. everything 100% <laughs> so one of the other movies that you're the most famous I would say most famous for um is one of them is Sleepover and <laughs> I watched that movie growing up almost every single sleepover that I went to um and I just I have to tell you justice for Yancey I mean what an icon no I know Yancey with her orange face after yes. the presto tan. I haven't seen that movie in years, but um, I, you know, it's so funny because looking back at that time, the movie bombed like terribly, terribly. Which is so when weird. It it's a out. cult classic. But it's weird that like all these people talk about having seen it. I'm like, really? I thought five people saw that movie. <laughs> um, so it's funny that so many people watch it at sleepovers, but I guess it makes sense. Were there any teen actresses at the time that you were filming movies like Sleepover that you were idolizing as other teen girls like me were idolizing you? You know, it was weird because I was growing up in the, Hilary Duff, Lindsay Lohan, um, who else was there? Raven, uh, the Olsen twins. We Mandy were all, Moore. We're all kind of, yeah, similar in the same age. Like we even did this Vanity Fair spread thing um, where it was like, I think it was their only tween uh, cover that they've ever, or that they had at the time at least. Um, and you just didn't know like, there, there were like rumors. Oh, are, am I going to make the cover? Are you going to make the cover? Who's making the cover? And then oh, I, I did not make the cover, but I had a lot of fun. Um, but 
in that particular issue, it was like all the girls, all like the tween pop stars of that time. And it was really cool. It was fun to be included in that group. Um, but certainly there were other people where, you know, like Hilary Duff still is so awesome. And she you know, is really just, cool. She is. She's so cute. And she has a new show coming out. I'm plugging her show. Look at that. <laughs> so um, nice. But, but yeah, no, there are just so many people that I've been fortunate to even grow up with and know and and love and care about that I don't know that I necessarily had somebody that I idolized I guess it would have been like Natalie Portman or or somebody like that in the acting world was it hard as a teenage actress not to compare yourself to your peers like Lindsay and Hillary and people and were your parents trying to talk to you about don't you know let comparison steal your joy in this business yeah, you know, I had a weird, uh, a kind of very different upbringing. Um, so luckily, I was kind of sheltered from everything. Like my mom was very, very strict. So we grew up in a, a strict household, um, very tight knit. So we didn't actually get to see a lot of like what was going on in like Hollywood at the time because we were so sheltered from it all. Um, and we didn't have social media back then. So that changed everything. Like social media now, like if I had to go through Sleepover or Spy Kids or anything like that now, it would look completely different. Like we were still able to be kids at the time. So for the most part, I feel like I had a pretty normal time. Although I did end up going through a really bad eating disorder in my teen years. Um, because it was during all of like the Lindsay Lohan stick thin, like cover of Us Weekly. All these girls are like this big and that's what they wanted in that's all interesting. these movie projects. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I don't even know that I've heard you talk about that much. Do you share that often? Yeah. You know, I've talked about it a, a few times, but it's not something that, um, that, I guess like it's not like something I lead with like, hey, how are you? I used to have an eating disorder, <laughs> um, but I have shared it. Uh, and it was actually a long time. Like I had it for six years and it started really? when I was 15. So it went on for a long time. Um, and it's terrible because it's this thing that like I was still me and I had this secret that I just hid from everybody. Um, I went through bulimia and I was so scared that anybody would find out. Like that's like your biggest fear because you're like, they're going to think that I'm not me. And I know I have this secret, but I'm still who I am. But I have this thing that I can't get rid of. Um, and honestly, as as I kind of started diving into my faith and and really like learning for me, like the word and like what verses say and like what God thinks of me, I just started turning everything around. And like right when I was like 21, I just got out of it, which is a huge blessing. Did you tell someone your secret and that's how it got out or did someone find out? So uh, so my, my family knew that I was struggling with this. And actually in my first marriage, uh, my ex did not know. And he my family ended up confronting him before the marriage like you cannot get married and, and he can't like know that you have this so he ended up finding out that i had it through them um he stuck with me and he like i have to say like praise him for this he like stood next to the bathroom every time i went to the bathroom he was just making sure that i was not having any sort of relapse and you know at, in the beginning of all of that i definitely was not changing for me it was kind of like a forced change so this was like early early on in like the recovery stage and then um and then when we split i like relapsed into it again and then found like 
completely turn around, was going to Bible study, and then I met my husband and had never looked back from I there. was going to say, do you feel like it was getting saved that broke those chains of the eating disorder from you? So, yeah, yes, but it, there's more to it. So I would say... I grew up in a somewhat of a Christian household, like the Christian household where you like check the box, you go to church on Sunday, um, and that's kind of it, uh, which was good. But then when we were 13, we stopped going to church, but I always craved that relationship with God. But all I knew was Sunday. I didn't know, I knew there was more, but Sunday didn't tell me that there was more, if that makes sense. Um, so when I turned 16, I started driving myself to church and kind of like to little different uh, high school groups and college groups just to like try to dive in. Um, but even then I wasn't kind of getting the depth that the real relationship, I guess I should say, like I was looking at Christianity as a religion versus like this awesome relationship with God. But it's funny because without really understanding biblically the relationship with God, I naturally craved that. And I would talk to him all the time, um, without really understanding it, if that makes sense. And then when I started going to Bible study, um, was when I learned about the armor of God, where, you know, you put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth and all of this. And like, I, I always had my faith ever since I was little, I always felt like I had my shield of faith, but I didn't have my sword, which is the word of God. So once you start diving into the word, you have your sword to defeat the demons that are in your life. I think before I had my shield, so I could like shield things off, but I couldn't really defeat them. And once I like really dove in, man, I destroyed so many things that had like a stronghold over me. And I was able to break every chain, like between like people that were not meant to be in my life. Um, even like, you know, difficulties, family can be really, really tough in creating healthy boundaries with family. Like you love them, but sometimes you do have to create healthy boundaries. And I learned that through scripture <laughs> and it's been awesome. Girl, you're dropping like amazing bombs right now. <laughs> like I have cold chills. I've never heard of it. You know, a 16 year old, I, I, I feel like, you know, I hear stories about them ditching church and sneaking off and going to parties. stuff. I've never heard someone say when I was 16, I was excited to get my license and drive myself to church. <laughs> it's okay. Hold on though. I still had my issues, right though? Like I'm this 16 year old who's driving to church, but like on the way, stopping at McDonald's and throwing up and then going to church. So I had plenty of issues that I knew I couldn't get through on my own. The idea of like rehab terrified me. Also, I had friends who had gone through rehab that did not help them whatsoever. In fact, it gave them like weird body complexes that they're still working through. I've so heard for me, of this. You know, and and I think that's why like, man, like I, I don't I don't want to sound preachy because that's not that was not my goal at all today. It just kind of I didn't even know we would be talking about this. I didn't either, um, but I love that. I love that. It's just, you know, let it flow. <laughs> let it flow. Let it flow. But you know, it's just there were so many things that there's no way you could fix on your own. And like, that's why God created the word and he put great people in front of you. And you have to have amazing people that surround you to help you through all of this kind of craziness and to keep you on track. Um, especially in the industry that we're in. 
um, we're so surrounded by yes people, you got to throw in some no people. The people that will totally kick your behind or tell you like, I know you think you look pretty right now, but you don't. So, well, I always think uh, about when, when you see, you know, stuff about uh, train wrecks in Hollywood, like teen yeah. girls that go off the deep end. Or I think about somebody who is, is she's easy to make fun of, uh, but I won't put you in that position. But I mean, she obviously is struggling a lot as Demi Lovato. And one of the things that she said, not me, is that when it came to getting drugs, her overdosing and almost dying, she said everyone on her team would tell her yes um, when she would ask for things or want to do things that were dangerous for her or put herself in, you know, a physically dangerous situation. Everyone would just say yes to her because it's like, well, this is the celebrity that's paying my bills. You know, they're how am afraid, I going to say no? They're afraid to lose their, whether it's their income or, or you know, they know somebody famous. Like they have their in in Hollywood. So if I say no to this, I might lose that that in um no it, it it breaks my heart like when when you hear about these stories whether you know the people or whether you don't it's always heartbreaking i i happened to to know demi more so early in her uh, earlier on like a while back and just so sweet and and lovely and heartwarming she dated a very close friend of mine for years so it's it's tough when you hear that people go through stuff like that because you don't have to but who you surround yourself with matters so, so much. They don't even have to be doing the drugs, but they cannot, um, what, what's that word? Enable. They cannot be enablers. Right. Okay, so let's talk about the moment that you woke up and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm famous. I mean, it, it had to have been with Spy Kids, right? No, no, not at all. Like even, I mean, now, like, come on, really? We're just, we're parents now. So for, for us, uh I think that word is so weird. I don't know. I think everybody's famous now because of like social media. Everybody has some sort of platform and and they're all like these fame seekers. So it's weird hearing like the word famous. Um, but back I don't then know, when I Spy think, Kids came out, I mean, social media didn't exist. So you're- It didn't a- exist. So, okay. So I will say this. We were at, I was 11 years old and we were at our first autograph signing for Spy Kids and it was before it came out. The Isuzu um, car company wanted to like do this whole campaign because they put their cars in in the movie. So they were like, okay, we're going to set up these mall signings across America. You're going to do like 10 of them, something like that. Um, and, and that'll be that. So I go, I do it. And like no one showed up. I think we had like two or three people for each signing, just like feeling sorry for us. So they would like go and get an autograph. Then the movie came out and they sent us to the Mall of America, but we had no in-between. It went from two or three people to, I'm not kidding. There had to be over 10,000 people just screaming, like in, in its different levels at Mall of America. And then there's like a line cut off. They can only have so many people actually do the signing. And at this point, like, you know, we're 12 years old. <laughs> So um, we could only handle so much. But that, I think, was the biggest moment of, whoa, people like this movie. They like Carmen. Like that, that's really weird and really cool because I, I started acting when I was four and I loved filming. I've, I've always loved filming. Set feels like home to me. Um, and I've always been super passionate about it. Um, so then 
when I booked Spy Kids, I'd never done a movie like this. The sets were unreal. They built everything. Floop's Castle, the safe house, um, our awesome house, like all these different cool gadgets. I mean, it was a kid's dream. We were literally playing dress up every single day. So then when it was time for the movie to come out, we hadn't seen it yet. Like they saved the movie. They wouldn't let us see any clips, nothing. They saved it until this like huge Las Vegas showing just to get our reactions. When you saw um, it, did you did you actually love it as a viewer? Yes, I remember because like we'd never filmed anything like that. It was it was such a wild experience. So I just remember my like legs shaking in the chair and being so exciting and looking it, it like, so excited and looking at Daryl just going, oh my gosh, we're finally seeing this. We're finally seeing this. And we were kids. We weren't looking at it like, oh, I hope this is successful. We could care less if it was successful. It was more about like, we finally get to see this thing that we made. It was, it was just fun. such this innocent excitement that like, man, I wish kids still had nowadays with with like movies and whatnot. Please tell me that you saw, because it's one of my favorite pop culture stories of the last year, that you saw the story that Daryl and his wife, Megan Trainer had two toilets stalled in, in next to each other in their bathroom so they could poop together. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I know people were like freaking out, being like, that's super weird. Um, so... In Carlos's old house, <laughs> he did not, sorry, I'm like hitting this. They weren't next to each other completely, but there were these two toilet, toilets, like uh, his and hers, and you would shut them and we would both probably usually go at the same time so that we could hang out. Um, but, but I will attest to, we love, when you find somebody who you love and don't wanna be without, you can't help but spend every moment with them. And it's so funny for me and Carlos, we very rarely travel separately. We are almost always together. And that's something that my mom taught me early on. Like, she did not necessarily have a strong like marital relationship um, to kind of look at, but she taught me early on that you keep the family together. So when I went to go film Spy Kids, which was in Texas, she brought all of my siblings with me. She didn't just abandon them in California and have some nanny watch them. And she also just didn't abandon me and have some nanny watch me. When, when they say it was a family affair, literally the entire family moved to Texas and filmed these movies. So I feel like there is something to be said about like keeping your family tight knit and why we were kind of able, even though like I went through the eating, eating disorder stuff, why we were able to kind of like make it through the childhood actor phase and for my siblings um it's because we were close together and I, I look at that in our family like i don't want to be the absent mom where nannies raise my kids so we only get help when we need help on projects otherwise like we're full-on parent mode i love that and that's that is such goals to me i just want to let you know that as a young woman who's hoping to have a family soon one day like i look up to you so 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 much for that because Aww. even just girls i know that are i mean are not actresses and you know going away on movie sets i just feel like so many people are doing the nanny thing i'm not saying that that's wrong but i no. think there is something to be celebrated and just think it's awesome that you're like no i'm going in full mom mode i'm doing everything yeah. on my own yeah, and it's a balance too, right? Like I'm still learning to find the balance of, all right, we need our time and we're exhausted. So you do need times to reset because you do become a better mother out of that. You become a better wife. Um, so don't forget about the reset times. Those are very important and I'm still teaching myself that. Um, but I don't want somebody else raising my kid. Like I see the fruits when I raise my children. When I'm working on a set and I can't 
be a mom who like really disciplines my kids and make sure that they don't, they need their note person, you know? So I, I have to kind of set those boundaries for them. And I notice like when we come off of a shoot, they are like a little bit more wild, a little bit more rambunctious, not quite as like, I don't know, our like tight knit home within our boundaries. So we always have to kind of like, all right, let's bring it in guys. Like we're going to bring the family back together. Your I don't know if this are is so making cute any too. Sense, by the way. And I love their <laughs> names. Um, Thank you. Beautiful names, beautiful kids. Just, uh, I love it. I want to get in, in into that too. Um, but speaking of families and just how youth feeling like your family being so close and it helped you kind of get through those trials and tribulations together. Do you feel like, um, you know, a lot of times the families of child stars do naturally just have a lot of dysfunction in them, you know, with like Brittany and Lindsay Lohan's families. Yeah. Did you feel like, your fame, your jump in fame added any dysfunction to your family life growing up? I think, I think sure. I, you know, it's a weird thing. Um, it's so hard when it, when it comes to people who are in the like spotlight in any way. I feel like whenever you hear these stories and then people are like, oh, poor me. I like went through that. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, I, I, and I, and I always wonder if that's like, oh, do you think like, shut up you're famous or do you think like shut up you have you make more money than i do because there's always like this weird thing when you hear these stories come out of like these young girls who had either traumatic experiences growing up or you find out this stuff um i'll i promise this goes back to your question um i was reading this one rebecca black article um do you remember her the friday girl like oh yeah friday friday whatever so she does this article years later about how she was like suicidal after that. Like all the people were making fun of her. She was only 13 years old when that song came out and they just ripped her apart, right? Like nobody thinks of the child. They just think like, this song is ridiculous. This video is ridiculous. The whole situation is ridiculous. So ha ha ha, we'll laugh at her. Not realizing like this is really traumatic for her. And then years later she writes about it. And I remember reading the comments underneath it and people were like, who cares? You're rich, like shut up. And just being so appalled and honestly, it actually scared me into kind of not necessarily, I wasn't so afraid once I got past my eating disorder, but when I was still like dabbling in it, I feel like it's comments like that, not necessarily from uh, that interview, but comments like that on other people's posts or interviews or whatever that make me go, oh, I don't ever want to air anything. Like why, who would want to air their dirty laundry? Because you're not going to ever get sympathy. You're just going to get like, oh, poor rich girl, like sucks for you. Ha ha. Like, I don't know. There's just not a lot of sympathy anymore. <laughs> um, so all that to be said, um, I think that there is this dysfunction that does come with the entertainment industry. And unless you have a really solid foundation, it can really disrupt your family. So um, I had, I, you know, I have a kooky family. I don't have, I wish I could say I had a better relationship with my mom. Like I love my mom, um, but we have dysfunction in our family. And, you know, we find ways um, to just all have our healthy boundaries with one another and just respectfully know, like we can disagree on things and we can disagree on, you know, certain I, I don't know, like just we can just disagree on things, but we can move past it and still be loving and kind and respectful. Um, but I think what's hard is when you are in the thick of it in fame, especially as a kid looking at like the Lindsay Lohans as like an example, 
I think it wasn't just her that was famous. Her parents were famous and they were also like under all these tabloids and kind of experiencing the wild limelight that she was experiencing. And that I think made her situation really difficult. Um, I was fortunate that like my mom did keep us super sheltered. So even though we had our own dysfunction, like what family doesn't have their stuff, their junk, um, we were still able to be raised pretty in a pretty normal household and doing normal kid things. Like when I didn't, when I was acting up or wasn't being like a good child, um, my mom would pull me out of the industry. So there were times where I had movies lined up that we literally had to can. Oh my gosh. So your mom wasn't like, you're grounded, go to your room. Your mom was like, you're grounded. You're not starring in a movie. Basically that, which sounds like to anybody like agents and whatnot, like they don't understand that. They're like, this is insane. You're were crazy. There, were there any big roles that you missed out on because you got in trouble? What did? Yes. Yes. They pulled me out of two movies, but it was so long ago that I can't remember. I don't remember what they were, but it was like when I was 10 or something like that. I was a kid. Did you ever feel like you were being groomed by predators in the business or exploited in any way as a child star? Conservatives want to support conservatives. I get messages every day asking for my recommendations on different brands, products, and companies with like-minded values that I love. If you have a product or company that supports values like freedom of speech and small government and love the spillover, you can become a sponsor of this show. Email ads at tpusa.com to learn more. Did you ever feel like you were being groomed by predators in the business or exploited in any way as a child star? You know what? Not when I was a kid. It was when I was in my 20s, my or like right 1920, 100%. Because they get you when you're like vulnerable. And for me, when I was a kid, I was always so protected and had my mom around. But Suddenly, like you're this young person who, you know, clearly like you could see the types of movies that I was doing then versus now. Um, I wanted people to see me as more of a grown up. So I was becoming like more, I guess, sexual in my appearance. Like it wasn't just, oh, I like this because I, I feel like I look good in it. It's like I want people to view me differently. So I was doing stupid things. Um and and being a little bit more provocative in how I would carry myself, which I look back, I'm like, darn, what was I thinking? Yeah, well, I think I think about you in Machete Kills. Right. You know, that definitely yep. a more grown up look for you. And <laughs> I think about I feel like is that one of the hardest things that child stars go through is when you're transitioning into adulthood, you want to be seen uh, for a female as a young woman, you know, Miley Cyrus going zero to 60 with her sexuality right. and everything. Is it just a, a desperation to please see me as a grown up now? Well, it's two things. It's one, you want to be seen more grown up, but also it gets so much attention. Look at how people are praised when they do that. And, and it's, it's when you don't, and it goes back to like, when you don't have that foundation where you have like all your needs, whether it's like in God or have like your needs set at home, you're going to seek elsewhere and elsewhere is not going to provide that for you. And you're going to find that it's going to feel like really empty afterwards. So you kind of give your body over in this weird way. I don't know what males have to go through. Like the females certainly just like shed their clothes, try to be sexy, be provocative, be outrageous. And it gets praised and you see it work again and again and again. So you're just like, all right, that's what I have to do. And, you know, I did like 
machete and whatnot. Um, but I remember at the time my PR people were like, and that's it. Like, you're not going to do any of these magazines. You're not going to do any of these like photo shoots that they want you to be like super sexy. And they were very protective of me because they grew up with me. They knew what my values were. And then I was clearly kind of like straying from that. And in a very kind way, they reeled it in without making me uncomfortable or hurting my feelings. Like they really were just kind of like, you know, we don't want to see you like you're classy. We don't want to see you doing trashy things. Like it's one thing for you to do a movie role. It's another thing for you to be doing like these magazines that are more sexual versions of like Alexa. If you want to play this character, great. But Alexa should not be doing this. And that was also an eye opener, which I was very appreciative of. Well, besides being more modest and everything now, you're, you know, we talked about how you're also outspoken about your views. If you disagree with something, you're not afraid to say it. And I think about Brie Larson, who's in Sleepover with You, very, very outspoken about her leftist views, you know? So do you feel. so long. Oh my gosh. Well, does it feel like sometimes that you're alienated from Hollywood because you don't subscribe to all of its narratives? You know what? I have been so fortunate to be in this industry for a really long time and to have people that I love and care about who I have always had my views. They've never changed ever since like, you know, I, I've never been like this big political person per se, but I've always had conservative values, conservative views on things. Um, So it's not, I think because I know with social media and with the news nowadays, we take the heart out of everything. And it's really easy. That's why you see these like trolls go off online as like, they, they take the heart out of it. When you actually have to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody or um, sit down with them and just have like your, whether it's a politic conversation or a religious conversation, like there are so many people in Hollywood who do not share the same faith with me at all. Like I am I am one of the small minorities in that in that group, but it doesn't take away my enjoyment of those people. So when I see them being um, passionate about the things that they believe in. I just think they're being passionate about things they believe in, but they still have a heart. They still have, like we can completely disagree on something. And I have a friend um, who's close to me that we disagree on basically everything, even like the really big, big stuff that I'm like super passionate about. I'm like very, very pro-life, hardcore pro-life. And that will never, ever change. And my my friend is not. And we have still been able to just have this really loving and respectful relationship that you don't really get to see anymore. It's like, if you're on this side, you can't be friends with that side. And that doesn't make any sense to me. How do you make that you work, though? You guys just, do you mutually agree not to discuss those issues that you're going to disagree over? No, because we have, we have discussed those issues and we continue to discuss those issues. But I think if you go into the conversation going, I have to change this person's mind, then you're going to be left disappointed because you usually don't change somebody's mind over a conversation, certainly not over a heated conversation, right? Um, so I think for me, even looking at um, our social media, for instance, like 
we're very consistent in who we are. And I think that's the best testimony anybody of faith can give. It's like, sure, you can preach all day long, but what are the fruits of your life? And if you can show over like the last however many years, the consistency of who you are in your walk, that's your testimony right there. And it's when people waver that people start asking questions or can really kind of come at you saying, well, you said you believe this, but you're doing this. That doesn't add up. And I think that's kind of a lot of why people don't like Christianity today is it looks super wishy-washy. It doesn't look like really what it was intended to look like. Um, and, you know, there's no it's not like a book where it's like do this 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 and this exactly like it's very it's left to some of the things are left to interpretation where you have to go okay i know i'm gonna be modest but how modest like i live on an island i live on a beach so i'm gonna be in my bathing suit every single day but i think intention and heart has so much to do with what you're doing. So whether it's how you dress or your political beliefs or the type of work that you do, it what is your intention and your heart behind it? You brought up being, oh, it makes perfect sense. And I hope that people will go back and write down some of what you said, because it was incredible advice. Uh, And I agree with that, too. I've had multiple people say that they've changed their mind when it comes to just conservatism or anything else, because, you know, it's planting a seed. And then over time, they see that I really believe that or I live that life. And then that is kind of the witness to them, whether that's about faith or your political views or what have you. But that's so well said how you put that. And You brought up being pro-life when Michelle Williams said that she wouldn't have been as successful in Hollywood if she wouldn't have had an abortion. How did that stick with you? It made me sad because I because girls really believe that and she believes that. And I think that's what's that's what's difficult. It doesn't make me angry. It makes me hurt for her, it makes me hurt for people who believe that they can't have a successful life being a mother, that they can't have a successful life um, being exactly who God intended them to be. And and I think that's something that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around. It's like, I don't believe that God makes mistakes. I think there are bad people out there. Like, you know, the one thing people always want to bring up is like, well, what happens in cases of rape and whatnot? And, you know, that's that's hard. Like, I can't even imagine what somebody would go through in that situation but i think that there's evil out there that that if you allow god to turn it into a testimony he absolutely can like obviously you know he's a god of free will so people have free will which is why you know evil exists and you know bad things happen but you don't have to further that bad and i'm never ever going to take away you know I can't, like I said, like I've been in a position where I have been taken advantage of and it's awful and terrible, but had something come of that position, I would have kept the baby because I 100% believe that that is an innocent life completely. So for me, and to second that, I think the problem is a lot of people believe that pro-life means Mm pro-birth, not like caring about the mom's not caring about what happens after they give birth. And there are so many amazing organizations that cater to these women who, um, 
not just like not just during the process of being pregnant but afterwards and their well-being and they check up on them and they make sure that the babies are doing great and they continue to grow with them which is beautiful and special and they find a community um and i think we just need to raise more awareness that there's more after the baby is delivered it's not just this pro birth um movement <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And uh, one of my favorite pro-life activists, Christine Jurgen, she is all over social media and she does a really cool thing where she works with mothers who are in need, who are maybe considering abortion. And then she starts registries for them and then has everybody donate and give them all the supplies that they need. And so she does all this stuff on Instagram and somebody on Twitter, she had tweeted something pro-life. And the other day somebody had asked her about, uh, you know, well, I just feel like pro-life people only ever care about babies in the womb. They're only pro-birth, exactly what you said. And so she said, well, I actually come up with registries to give items to mothers in need for before and after baby. If you would like to donate, I'll give you the link. <laughs> and that's I was like, fantastic. That's fantastic. But I think that's the hard thing is like a lot of people, they'll hear a blurb of, oh, well, pro-life people only care about pro-birth. Like they don't care about what happens afterwards. Um, And then they're like, well, then how many kids are you adopting? Well, then like, you know, there's always going to be this, you have to just tune it out because there's always going to be this like, I don't want to say demon, but that's kind of what it is. It's like, what, what can I do to spark you? What can I do to get this rise out of you? Um, Which again, like always bring everything back to God. Like when you have his peace, you can have all these things like barking at you, screaming at you, but like there's this weird feeling of like, oh man, instead of getting mad at them, I feel sorry for them because they're just really confused right now and they don't they don't see you and they don't see the beauty in you and they don't necessarily see the beauty in this baby. They just keep thinking it's a clump of cells. They keep thinking it's just this thing, but like if they were to see a baby born, it doesn't matter if it's 15 weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, like they were to actually see this baby I know they would feel differently about it. There's no way you could see a baby like that formed and go like, all right, we're going to rip its leg off. Like you you can't, you can't think like that, but they're so trained to think that way. And, and I think that's kind of what's happening with kids nowadays is like they're really numb to it because they just don't know. Well, when someone says too, oh, you're pro-life. Well, are you really pro-life if you don't adopt 10 kids? You know, it's, it's that's the same as saying to somebody who says like, well, I'm serving at a soup kitchen because I really have a passion for helping the homeless. And then it's right. like saying to them, oh, well, are you really passionate about homeless people? Are you going to uh, build are they 10 live in rooms your house? on your house? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, there's ways to serve those communities. And some people may be called to adopt 10 kids that and, are pro-life. Well, hold on. That's what I was going to say. One of my closest friends, he literally saw this homeless guy the street and he's like you know god just kept pushing me that he needed to come stay at my house so he invited him to stay in his house and the guy lived there for a couple weeks and it just kind of blew my mind you know he so my husband and i met at bible study and it was his bible study that we met at and um it just shows you like we're all called to different positions in um in our walk and in our lives and you might be called to be like a missionary to go off around the world you might be on the mission field right where you are right in your house like it doesn't it doesn't really matter like we're we're all called to be passionate about different things if we were all just passionate about one thing so many causes would go left unspoken for and i think that's what's tough is like i think if you don't speak on every single 
movement, then it means that you don't care. And it's like, no, I care about all of these things, but I'm really passionate about this one thing. But I hope to find somebody who's passionate about that so they can fill that void. Let's talk about, yeah, no, it makes sense. I always struggle because I have mom brain. So it like kind of, uh, how, what is it? Like a, it's like a choo-choo train going up a hill. (laughs) No, you're, you're, it's, you're so well-spoken on that subject. And I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, this episode comes out, you know, today, technically when this comes out, it'll be March for life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to that. I wish that you could go. Maybe in a few years you could come and bring your daughter or something. That would be so fun. But I I know you'd love it. Uh, Although it's not going to be as nice weather as Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. We like to travel. Well, you bring up that you met your husband, Carlos, in Bible study. And so many Christian conservatives are like, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, I go to church. I'm involved in small group. And there's a guy that I really think is cute, but I don't want to be weird and make the first move and say that I'm interested and then ruin things at church. Who made the first move between your husband and you? Oh, Carlos, for sure. I because I was fresh off a divorce, so I wanted no relationships at all. I just really wanted to focus on God. And um, and then I was. okay. so that's like half true. I wanted to focus on God, but also like I kept going in and out of like I need to dive in. So this was it was my first Bible study ever. Um, I'd been going to church and my friend Andrew just kept reaching out to me like you got to come to bible study i think you would really love it and i'm like yeah no i know i need to go like it's time to dive in like i'm I'm fully ready but i'm working right now so i'm out of town but you know one of these days i'll go um i was kind of starting to date this one guy who i had recently met but i was still like i didn't want anything serious it was just kind of talking um and then finally i got back to town and and me and my sister were like yeah we should go we should go to bible study let's go check it out and i i show up and there's Carlos and he's so dorky. He said, I like walked into the room and he saw me. He's like, I'm going to go talk to that girl. So he like jumped off the counter and like beelined right towards me and started a conversation. And he was an uber nerd. How long did it take between you guys first meeting to him asking you out? Um, Oh, like a week, but we were just hanging out. Like, so my best friend was Andrew and his very close friend at the time was also Andrew. So we were the trio. We would go everywhere, but we were just friends. And he was like, nah, we are not going to be just (laughs) friends. But he wasn't like a creep about it, but he was such a flirt. And he's Carlos. He's so cute and fun. And um, yeah, he definitely won me over pretty quickly, but I friend zoned him for a long time just to really get to know him first. Yeah, get to know him, you know, and make (laughs) him work for it a little bit. Exactly, exactly. When you guys got married, I'm assuming you you you've talked about this before, but you had conversations that you didn't want your kids to end up growing up in, around Hollywood like you guys did, correct? Um, well, half and half. I mean, if they wanted to get in the entertainment industry, they could. Like, I really was sheltered from the craziness of this industry, and I think it all goes back to foundation. If you could set a healthy foundation for your children for your home life um you can bring that wherever you go i mean we travel a lot but our foundation never changes our core of who we are as a family that never changes so if our kids wanted to get into it we would just navigate those waters i would never be like no i don't want you to be in this industry um i think that the industry has kind of seen some weird 
roller coasters as of recently where, you know, I happened to back off at a time where um, there were just a lot of controversial things happening out there. And like really what? Just I think like, like all the Me Too movement stuff happened a few years ago. And I think had I bit continued to be in the industry uh, the way I once was um, without pulling back, I think I would have had a real a lot of tough questions that I don't know if I would have been ready to answer. And I am more of an outspoken person. So if I have an opinion, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say like, like, oh, I agree with you just to agree with you. Um, I will push back and ask the, the hard questions. And that probably would never have gone over well, particularly right when everything came out. Um, when the Me so, Too movement know. first took off, was there someone whose face or name immediately popped up in your head and you were like, I could call them out? Yeah, full on, a few people, absolutely. And I think it's hard because there was this like, do I call these people out? Do I believe in redemption? Do I believe in, um, like, you can forgive somebody, that doesn't mean that you have to forget. Um, but there's also this like, all right, well, if I thought that somebody was continuing to be a predator, I would handle that quickly because I don't believe in being silent if there's a predator on the loose and they're going to continue that behavior. Um, but I do believe that there have been times where people were very inappropriate and they're either they either are terrified that they're going to go to jail so they clean their act up or or they've they've changed um but for most of those people i have not seen them in many years have you spoken to them did you text them i have i have with with somebody for me who is particularly um very aggressive with me um i did speak with them and 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 it's tough and i think this is where it, it becomes very very difficult um with women is it doesn't take away like guys there are some bad guys out there and there are some guys who, who their behavior is disgusting and ridiculous in my particular situation this this person was the behavior was terrible but i also was not in a good position either like had i i, I would never get myself in that position now right? Like I'm in a very different place in my life that I look back and I'm like, okay, it's not your fault, but you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. Was it just and like a casting couch type of situation or what? No, 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 no. It was somebody that I knew that I was very comfortable with that I saw that I saw often um, that, you know, again, I'm dressing more provocatively, I'm more comfortable with just like, I think wanting people to see me as like this big girl. Um, so you show up, you see this per like for me, I saw this person and automatically had the, they automatically had the assumption that that meant that I wanted something from them, not that I just wanted them to see me as a bigger person or like a grown up, if that makes sense. Um, but I think of like how often you hear these stories of, oh man, like these women who are, you know, in like a more vulnerable situation, whether they're dressed provocatively, uh, which is an annoying word because it's like, ugh, I know so many people are like, who cares how you dress? It's the guy's fault. And I, I do think that like guys need to be able to contain themselves because you can't just go and jump on somebody just because they're dressed a certain way. However, like you do have to try to go, all right, and what am I doing to protect myself 
in this in these situations if i think that you know there could be a possibility that there might be some sort of like vulnerable position that i can get in or if i'm going to be alone with a male i should be a little bit more careful so that i don't necessarily send the wrong message um or just be very upfront and make sure that they know where you stand that you are not interested in them and i think we're in this weird kind of gray area where like for me i didn't like really want to hurt that person's feelings so like you don't it's not like this quick like i don't i'm not into you it's it's kind of like oh uh well uh and you're like in this weird place because we're all people pleasers and that's like the worst thing you can be is a people pleaser you're afraid of hurting someone's feelings um you also don't want to be uh looked at as like this bad person you don't want them to not like you anymore they're like so many weird emotions that i think mainly girls have to deal with when it comes to guys or being alone with guys um so i think that looking back at my situation and that's all i can talk on i can't talk about anybody else is i would have done things so differently i would never have like gone to this place alone i would never have um dressed as I would not have dressed that way to make it maybe look like I was insinuating that I wanted something um and I think those are the triggers now that I'm like okay well when I have my like girl grow up my little daughter I want to inform her of all of these things because you know you you think you can know somebody but there are guys out there who are just dogs man like they are but i don't want to i don't want to be like hating on guys because i don't think all guys are like that i really really don't i i think we need to just be a little clearer on our messaging across the board whether you're a girl or a guy i think what you're saying is incredibly important uh it's also weirdly very controversial um just saying both young men and women need to be responsible you know be self-aware um everybody wants to put the responsibility only on the guys and like sure i understand that because like look it would be super easy for me to just blame that dude i would just be like man it was all his fault he was bad who cares i could have been naked he should not have touched me you know what i mean But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, what was I putting off at the time? Oh, I wanted that person to see me more growing up. I wanted them to see me older. I was dressed very provocatively. Um, I was alone. Um, Oh my gosh, like I went to meet this person like at this place. What was I thinking? Like what on earth? But some people would hear what you're saying, Alexa, and they would say you're victim blaming or you're, you're holding that against yourself when you shouldn't. No, I think what it is is I'm never going to repeat that scenario again. And I'm protecting myself from that happening again. And oftentimes you hear a situation like this happening, but then multiple times to a girl and they want to know like, why does this keep happening to me? All guys are terrible. And what it is, is like, yeah, there are a handful of guys out there that are really bad. And those guys, they completely took advantage of you, no doubt. But you can protect yourself from being in those positions and around those kinds of people. Um, I'm sure I've worked with probably many people that I'm totally unaware of about like maybe they were, they too are predators and I have no idea that they're predators, but they would have zero access to me because of the way I carry myself now and 
the way I dress. And I still look, I want to look sexy. I like, I like dressing up. I don't want to just look like this mom, this like super like modest mom who covers up all the time. Like, heck, I want my husband to look at me and be like, babe, you look good, you know? So that doesn't mean I'm in like some Quaker dress. Like you can still be <laughs> cute. You can still um, dress up and, and, and be hot if you want to be hot. But intention is so important. What is the heart behind what you're doing? Like, Mm. are you getting dressed right now? And your intention, if your intention is to get eyes on you and to have people lust after you, that is going to cause men to become out of control. It's not your fault. It's whatever they're dealing with. That's their own issue. But if your intention is to get that reaction, I think it's kind of weird that we're shocked when we get that reaction. So what's your intention behind what you're wearing? If it's just because like, look, I like this outfit and I feel good in it. Even though I don't necessarily think we should all be like on social media in like thongs and these bras with like boobies hanging out and whatnot. um, I think how you walk in that outfit changes everything. How you talk with people in a certain outfit changes everything. for me, I used to be a massive flirt and I thought flirting was very innocent. And I, I just put flirting and fun in the same category because I'm still fun. Like I have fun with everybody, but I took the flirting aspect out and it leaves no room for error, which is awesome because there's no confusion. I'm just fun. But before I used to be this massive flirt and I didn't realize I was I was opening all of these doors thinking like, no, I just want to be nice. I want them to like feel good about themselves. So I'll flirt with them. And, and it's like this weird, I want to be liked by everybody. So it's like this people pleasing thing that, that, you know, I I think a lot of girls do. Um, And then I remember sitting down with this producer one day at lunch and they brought up, they were like, oh yeah, I mean, you were, you were sleeping with that one guy. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. You don't talk to him anymore. I'm like, wait, no, hold on back up you thought I was sleeping with that guy? And they were like, yeah, you were flirting all the time. And I was like, yes, but that was just my personality. I wasn't sleeping with that person. I can't believe you thought that. Then it made me go, oh my gosh, the whole crew must have thought that. Like if you as a producer thought that, what was I putting out there? So I think there are all these things that we try to make really light of like flirting's not a big deal. Who cares? If you want to flirt, flirt. If you want to dress provocatively, dress provocatively. But we don't realize like all the doors that we're opening when we do that and how damaging it really is. And I, I, I don't know, like I, I go back to just going like, all right, how does God see me? And how does God want me to act? And how does the enemy see me? And how does the enemy want me to act? And like, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So he's going to cause disruption. He's going to cause like this uh, distraction and haziness to make you question like, well, is this really bad what I'm doing? It's not like it's, this is the like self, self gratification, right? Like we're in this whole kind of self, 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 self care, self this, self that, which is important a hundred percent. But then there's also self accountability. Right. And I think you and your husband both uh, really participate in 
in intentional parenting um, and raising uh, your sons, you know, what I've seen on social media, raising your sons to grow into strong men, raising your daughter to, you know, grow into a strong woman. And I have to ask because this was another recent headline, but you accidentally smashed Kingston's finger in a door. And I cannot imagine um, just (laughs) what that felt like as a mom, Um, you know, just the mom guilt and stuff. I can I'm not a mom yet, but I can imagine what that felt like. But then what was crazy to me was that Internet trolls were saying that you slammed the the door on your son's finger in a fit of rage. I mean, did that infuriate you or have you just learned to separate yourself from criticism like that? So um, normally I would say that I don't care about what trolls have to say. Um, But I found myself for the first time, like it was like the devil knew where he could get me, right? Like I was in such a vulnerable place. We were so, um, it was really traumatizing. Like it's one thing, like my kids have had bad cuts before and like had to get stitches and whatnot from like like pool accidents and whatnot. Um, But when your kid literally loses their finger. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. Like you, you, you see these movies where people's like arms are chopped off or whatever. You think nothing of it, but in real life, when like your kid is missing a finger and I had to find the finger, um, and bring it to the hospital. Like it, it is like, you are like, thankfully, like we were in such control. We had it. Carlos, who's not a blood guy, like handled everything like a champion. We were both just like, one, two, three, the hospital was three minutes away. Like within a matter of 10 minutes, we were in a hospital room getting looked at. Like it happened so fast. But it was once we were home and I I tucked him in bed. I just, I've never had a breakdown before, but I really did lose it. And, and I just started sobbing because you have this extreme mom guilt that like, was just being magnified so much like oh man like what could i have done better like what i should not have tried to shut that door like why was i even trying to shut that door that's so stupid i should have just left it open like you just replay all of these things and then you just like look at it again and again and then when you have trolls write something like that it was just like what (laughs) i don't feel that way like i'm not a yelly person so i never actually said that but like internally you just feel like exploding and i just had like thank god for our best friend andrew we all got on a facetime call together and he was just praying over me and carlos and us as parents and and us as a couple and he's just like man accidents happen and that doesn't change like how god loves you and you like you are a good mom he's like look at the fruits of of you being a good mom you have great babies and this happens he was like you have great babies and one with a cute nine fingers in the moment um but it does it's hard because when you are in a vulnerable moment and obviously i was kind of like rejecting god's peace in that moment and just really focusing on like what had happened i like totally fell to the troll tantrums that they were throwing like i ever pray for your internet trolls always always and i've noticed that it makes them it infuriates their demons (laughs) like uh, (laughs) they usually go way harder um I've had some people though, where I've totally prayed for them, not even telling them I'm praying for them, where, you know, months later, they're like, you know, I want to apologize. And like they've reached out and, you know, I, this is not to sound like 
uh, braggy or anything, but we get a lot of messages, so we don't get to see all the messages that come in. Um, but every now and then we'll like sift through and click and like seeing that makes you go, oh my gosh, like it matters so much that consistency in our faith and like what we post because they do see that and you're always planting a seed to like, the, you can plant a seed to the angriest person and they might not see it now. They might not even see it until like five years from now, but you're planting that seed in everything that you do. Um, and that goes for everybody. If you're at the grocery store, and you're checking out at the grocery line, like like whether it's your bag boy who has a, a seed that he can plant for you, like when somebody says hi to you or they're nice to you or when they open the door for you, uh, I just feel like you can't help but be impacted by those types of people, right? So everybody thinks we're only impacted by like social media or celebrities or all of these things, but you actually have your platform wherever you are, whether you're the guy bagging groceries or the girl bagging groceries or, you know, you know, you have like 100 million followers. It doesn't really matter. You have a platform right where you are. As a Christian actress, this just came to me. What do you think is more harmful or was more harmful? Purity culture in the church in the early 2000s or the overt sexualization of young people that comes from Hollywood and is perpetuated by Hollywood? I don't... I don't, I wish I, it was a simple answer because I don't think it is. Cause I think both were, both are done poorly. I think it's one thing, um, look, the world is always going to be the world, right? Like we're not going to be able to stop the entertainment industry from pushing boundaries and you know, all we'll have, the only thing we can do is create our own networks and create our own platforms, make movies, the movies that we want to watch. And I think what becomes difficult is when people are Christian, they assume like, okay, well then you can only do Christian movies after that. And it's like, no, I want to make good movies. And most of the Christian movies that are out there are, are not, not good. very good. And it's not to dog on Christian movies, but they're so far from reality that like they need a reality check. And I think that was the problem where the purity movement missed it was like they scared people into like being afraid of sex, terrified of sex. And then what happens to these people who then get married and they decide to have sex for the first time? They're groomed to think it's this bad thing. Um, there's this amazing podcast I've been listening to by a woman called Francie Winslow. It's called Heaven in Your Home. And it's literally all about how she grew up in that movement of like purity and like so afraid of sex when she got married that she had to reevaluate and go, wait a minute, God made sex. Like God made sex to be amazing and awesome and pure and like just explosive, right? Like sex was supposed to be that. And we took it in two different directions. We took it and made it and said, this is terrible. And then we also took it and totally destroyed it by taking all the purity and holiness out of sex. Um, and she just does a really good job of helping um, you see what what sex was supposed to be and the intention behind it and how to have like a really awesome love life with your husband. So this woman is basically like the Christian call her daddy is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for real though. And it is, she's just the cutest thing. Like the way she like tells these stories and she goes, I hate this word, but like when God made us, Adam was like, whoa, like talking about the woman's body. And she's like, she's like in this word, 
clitoris but you know god made it to have these all these amazing sensations and that's for you women like you're supposed to be thankful for that (laughs) wait this sounds so interesting what is it called again it's called heaven in your home Okay, I know all the kids are just like writing this down. They're like, yes, yes, I know, yes. <laughs> but it, but again, it's this weird taboo thing to talk about. Like if you're Christian, you don't talk about sex. But if you're in this world, you talk about sex. So obviously when people get married, where do they go for their information? They have to go to the world for their sex information. They can't go to their church because, you know, church told you that sex is bad. Yeah. So, so then how do you have a healthy like sex life in your marriage if you're getting it from the world that's filled with pornography like you can't absolutely have you uh linked up doing hallmark movies and stuff have you linked up with candace cameron beret at all or no so candace is amazing she's been so helpful um with navigating so much for me personally like i've, I've called her a couple times so we've, we've done a bunch of hallmark movies um i was fortunate enough to be able to work with my husband a whole bunch so we get to do movies together like crazy which is awesome um but, you know, just navigating some uh, some murky waters that I can't really talk about, but just asking her, you know, advice on stuff. And she's just been so helpful and so lovely and open and honest. And I think having having somebody like that, like I just kind of cold called her. Like I knew her, but not on a personal level where I could probably ask some of these questions to. Um, so her being so open to kind of have these conversations with me were really helpful. I love that. Okay, one last question for you because we've gone a little over, which I'm so grateful Sorry. for. Thank you. No, that's a, no. Thank you. I'm I'm excited. <laughs> um, okay, so what projects are you working on this year that cute conservatives can look forward to? Okay, so I'm really excited. My we wrote a book. Um, we <gasps> oh my gosh. we never we'd always wanted to write, and we're not necessarily writers per se. We had somebody totally help us, uh, but we have a lot to say. We're talkers and. We think that marriage is super, super important and people don't really look at marriage that way anymore. And we have a really awesome marriage and we just want to share that with the world and we want everybody to experience what we have. Um, So it's basically this book called What If Love Is The Point? And it's just our testimony uh, in our relationship with God and then our relationship with one another um, in our marriage. Is it out yet or it's or it's coming out? It comes out in June. I think it's June 28th. I should double check wow. that though. Okay, definitely going to be getting that. We're, we should, we'll all have to read that together. And then we'll all have to chime in on Instagram of, of that we're reading it together and everything. And then one last thing, because I forgot I wanted to follow up with this on you just because it got brought up and I we weren't expecting yeah. it or planning on it. But that's the beauty of just authentic conversation. Yep. If someone is struggling with bulimia like you brought up, yes. where do they go? What steps should they be taking? There is, oh my gosh, they're going to kick me because I can't remember the name of it off the t- Do you do show notes? Do you ever do show notes where like people can go? Oh, yes. Yeah, we can after? add that. Really? Okay. So there is this one group, and I'm so sorry that I can't remember your name right now. This is my mom brain sinking in, um, where they really like dive in. Um, I think with everybody, more so women, um, with just helping them through their eating disorder. But let me say this, tell somebody because my biggest fear was the eating disorder and somebody finding out because I was so ashamed of it. Um, So 
I just didn't talk about it. And then once I was healed from it, I still didn't talk about it because I was so afraid of people looking at me and just seeing like, oh, she used to have an eating disorder. But the more and more I've talked about it, the more free from it I continue to be and have become. And there isn't this like fear of relapse. There isn't this fear of ever going back. So I just feel like the more you can talk about it and confide in safe people about it, the better off you are. Like just start talking about it and it's already going to open up like how you can heal it. That's so beautiful. Alexa, so many things that you shared today are going to be a huge blessing to so many young women who listen to this podcast. I already know there were so many things going off in my head like, yep, that's going to resonate. Yep, that's going to (laughs) resonate. Thank you, Alexa, for coming on The Spillover. Thank you. Thank you. And listen, I know we've already gone over, but I have to tell you, I got a message from my friend this morning um, who sent me literally a clip of you having no idea that we were going to speak today. And he's like, this is the kind of wife I'm looking for. (laughs) Literally this morning. And I started laughing. I'm like, I think she's taken, bro, but I'll ask. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. You have have, uh, some guys who are like, that is wife material. Well, I am shook. (laughs) All my producers right now are putting their fists in the air. (laughs) That is so sweet. I wrote back. I'm like, you guys, I'm literally going to talk to her today. I can't believe you sent this to oh me. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. My, bo- my Well, I do have a boyfriend, but he's going to be like, hey, what's good, this guy's name? Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> Listen, my buddy will be like, yeah, good for him. Good for you, bro. Oh, my gosh. Alexa, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. <laughs> Man, I feel refreshed and full of hope. Not all Hollywood actresses are radical, motherhood-hating, political mouthpieces for the left. Don't get me wrong, I still love actresses who I don't agree with. Looking at you, Nicole Kidman. But how amazing was it to hear from someone who's incredibly real and authentic, despite whatever crazy demands her industry puts on people, women in particular. I just think that Alexa is such a sparkling example that with enough hard work and perspective, women can be wives, mothers, and have jobs they love. I love how outspoken she is about her Christian faith, and that's a message I think so many young women need to hear. You know, I created The Spillover to be a podcast in the culture space that has eye-opening, interesting, and compelling guests and conversations from a conservative perspective. Last week, your subscriptions and five-star reviews got us all the way to position 53 in the society and culture category. That is insane. Society and culture, if you do not know anything about podcasting, is the most saturated category in podcasting. I'm talking about 70,000 plus podcasts in that space. It is very hard to chart. And if we can consistently chart that high every week by leaving a review every time you listen, not only can the spillover become a major player in the podcast world, which I believe It is already starting to become that considering we just launched in September of last year. But it helps us get even bigger guests that you'd like me to ask unfiltered questions to and get into uncharted territory with them like I did today with Alexa. So see, if you leave a review, you win and I win. You can also share this podcast episode to your stories because doing that gets these stories out into the world where they deserve to be told. This interview is available to watch on the Politics YouTube if you want to see Alexa's beautiful face. Uh, you can also watch on the TPUSA live broadcast on Fridays, but please share this to your story. Everyone knows who Alexa is. Uh, I think this will be incredibly eye-opening and just a, a conversation that people really fall in love with and really fall in love with her uh, if they're not already 
everybody all over again. New episodes of The Spillover drop every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific and midnight Eastern on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm Alex Clark. This is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Big dog status, I'm a big dog, bitch. I pull up on